it was awesome really really awesome and we didn't just well, guilt-free you feel like you were supporting something good because we've been really conscious about trying to book our elephant experience and being as ethical as possible it's kind of brought it into the forefront of my mind that we were in an incredibly poor country and our money would go an awful long way and that we could we should do our utmost to try and see local things use uh, responsibly sourced eateries and buy ethically sourced stuff things like that um, and we really made an effort to do it in Cambodia it felt like being so, in North Korea at this at this point the numbers of Western tourists tourists in general was depleting like visitors and not staff in the gardens it was like something out of a post-apocalyptic zombie film it was really really bizarre Hi, I'm Emma, and this is Trip Report, the podcast where I interview recent travellers about their amazing trips, giving you all the tips and inspiration, or just to travel vicariously with us. Before we get into this episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank each and every one of you who have shared one of Trip Report's Instagram posts to your stories. It really helps the podcast to grow and gives me energy to keep producing content for you. So thanks again. And if this isn't you, a share in your stories is a great way to support the podcast, as well as subscribing and sharing, of course. Oh, and do head over to Instagram as you can win a £20 Amazon gift card right now. And who doesn't want one of those? This is episode 14. On this episode, I continue my chat with Josh and Annie in the final part of their epic adventure around the world last year. So far, we've journeyed with them to Canada and America, down through South America, encountering work placements, riots and amazing wildlife. In the third part to their trip in the last episode, we gathered tons of tips and ideas for discovering Australia and New Zealand, and now we start the end of their trip in Thailand. They had just got a plane from Brisbane to Phuket. Uh, it flew into Bangkok and then an internal flight down to Phuket, and that was our starter for 10. Phuket is... it's a bit of a mixture. It's a bit like Ibiza, I suppose, in that it has two paths. It has a, a quite a, the old Phuket town, um, which is quite quiet, still got some of the old old buildings. And then it has kind of the coastal region, which is where... Just resorts. It's resorts, there's lots of parties, you know, there's a real good like kind of bar culture. Lots of people jet skiing out on the on the beaches and stuff like that. So it really depends what you're going for. We um, really aren't as old as we're making ourselves sound here. <laughs> like, oh, these kids always want to party. Like... <laughs> not necessarily us all the time we just you know we've we've both been there and done that and we don't need to be vomiting at 3am on a beach not this time anyway not, <laughs> not this time so uh, we we made the opportunity you know kind of made the most of it was a totally new culture so we've gone from you know north america to south america had to kind of relearn an awful lot of things and and kind of some linguistic challenges because our spanish is uh minimal um but enough to get by if you did some gcse spanish and i did some gcse french and there's some similarities between the languages you could probably read your way through and google uh translate and get you the rest of the way thailand no thailand not so much uh, so uh, our thai is zero and so is our cambodian and, Khmer and yeah. uh, so we, <laughs> we were you know totally at a loss for language um but the is a really touristy area so it was a good place for us to start because we knew there was going to be lots of english speaking kind of operators there and like i say again what we can 
work out our own google translate usually got us the rest of the way there um so it wasn't wasn't the end of the world but where, where we went it was very westerner friendly for various reasons so we, we never really struggled that much the th- i don't think the ties are well known internationally known for their hospitality sometimes to a fault um, they're often far nicer to us uh, than we are to them and we did see some pretty unpleasant tourists um, being fairly obnoxious to the locals um, and they'll just give you service with a smile I'm sure they'll spit in your food when they get back into the kitchen to your face they are really quite humble um, just incredibly pleasant people um, so you you'll have a wonderful experience there yeah, from our experience nothing was ever too much for anybody while we were in thailand and cambodia like i guess they want you to have a good experience and to come back or to tell your friends so it's it's very much business is by recommendation and review so they you get very treated very well and your money goes really far so yeah. compared to you know we just come from australia new zealand that was another quite expensive bit of the trip and we knew it would be um, back into Asia where our money went an awful lot further, where you could eat for less than five bucks for the couple of us. Yeah, um, five bucks for an um, evening meal, two of us and two drinks. And to them, to, the, to us, that's not much money, but like five bucks to them, that's, wow, that's like, that's a good night. So yeah, we were a lot more free with our spending in Thailand and Cambodia than we have been in New Zealand. And the food is spectacular, as you'd expect. I, you know, totally different cuisine again. But uh, for me, I found eventually I, I grew a little bit tired of Thai because a lot of it uses the same Thai green or Thai red curry base. So occasionally I'd go and try... Of fish sauce and noodles and, yeah. Yeah, and rice. And there comes a point where like, I need some fish and chips or I need a curry or... We're very lucky, obviously, in the UK that probably even in a tiny little town like the one we're in at the moment, within a two-mile radius, you can have Indian, Chinese, Nepalese, uh, Asian. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it's all really close to us, whereas there it was Thai or Thai, um, unless you went to quite touristy areas where you'd get a lot more options. And actually, we, we ate at some of the best vegetarian restaurants um, in Thailand as we, that we did anywhere on our trip. Mm-hmm. So... If you're a veggie, um, it's a really good uh, good option. There's plenty of options available to, for you. They might not be labelled as vegetarian, but there are some good vegetarian options there. Took in the city, um, we hired a moped. Uh, what <laughs> we can, can I advise hiring a moped? Definitely have your international driver's licence because we got pulled over within about 200 metres of getting out of the rental place and got pulled over to show our international driving licences, which we both had. We just didn't have them on us. Um, nor were we told we had to have them on us by the rental company, nor was it written anywhere. No. So we got pulled over, and despite the fact we were about a three-minute walk from the hostel, uh, and Annie went back to get them, it was an on-the-spot fine. So that was a really good start to our an on-the-spot extortionate fine of twelve pounds. Yes, it wasn't the end of the world, but that did double the cost of the moped. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, again, everything's very cheap, uh, but all things are relative. So it was a bit of a kick in the teeth straight away. But after that experience, we knew to carry our international license with you. Even if you don't have an international license, you can always risk it. You pay your £12 fine once, and that gives you, I think it's three days, maybe five days leeway, where that fine is covered. basically so, says yeah. you don't need to be fined again. You're in the pre- you have a 
uh, time to go and get an international pass. So if you're only hiring it for three days or five days, you can always risk it. Not that I would endorse breaking Thai law, but the lo- the local police are very much after a quick buck. So they were only pulling over Westerners on scooters. They weren't pulling over any locals um, they, because they knew you wouldn't have an international license or it was unlikely you would hit you with an instant fine. Um, and then maybe another three miles up the road, there'd be another one. In the end, we went through three or four checkpoints. Each one would have <laughs> tried to find you. Um, yeah, we so, wave our international driver's licenses as we drove past them. So like, make sure you have one. They're easy to pick up from the post office. Make sure you've got one for the right country. They cost hardly anything. Um, just get one before you go and keep it in your back pocket. That took us out. Uh, we scooted. I, I, had, I, I had done my scoot, scooting license but Annie hadn't, so it was her first time on the back of a scooter. And Bangkok is notorious for its dodgy roads, so there's relatively high road death rates there. Um, The vast majority of that is because no one wears a helmet. Um, So if they get hit on a moped or a bike, um, and there are lots of people on uh, mopeds and bikes, invariably it's fatal. So wear your helmet uh, and get the best one you can. They'll usually say, just go and pick one off the rack. Take a little bit of time to get one that fits. Uh, and is the best quality one that doesn't look like it's been dropped too many times. Uh, and make sure you wear it because um, it's the one place where you really can't be too protective about your safety because someone will probably try and knock you off. And it's best to have a helmet than not. And I'm sure ed- everyone has friends or friends of friends that had terrible experiences on their backpacking. We, we got Asia. into several people who had some nasty injuries and lots of missing skin from where they'd come off a moped or been hit or yeah so it's it's not worth the risk but in certain areas especially we hired one in old town phuket at least half the amount of people on scooters are tourists so the locals are a little bit more wary and the roads are super wide so if you're that if you're that scared you can just keep as far to the left as you possibly can and you know you'll you'll be okay we did all the kind of touristy things um, out on the, uh, again, fuel is almost no cost. So don't worry about doing long drives if you can stomach a long drive in, in the hot on a scooter because it doesn't cost you anything to fill the tank. Uh, we did the, the Big Buddha, um, kind of went all the way around the peninsula uh, and stopped off at the kind of stuff on the way. Um, we did Patong, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a really good introduction. If, you, if that was the only thing you visited, you wouldn't really be visiting Thailand per se it, because it's so touristy. You can, you can have the tourist experience and not really come into contact with an awful lot of legitimate Thai culture. Um, but it's about, not a bad place to start. And it was a fairly soft landing for us in terms of getting to know yeah. the, the cultural nuances before we moved off to slightly more uh, backcountry parts of the And it, like Old, Old Town Phuket is, is lovely. Like There's lots of... Again, it's very tourist friendly and there's lots of night markets. There's um, street market every Sunday, like street night market, which is um, local food, local artists and creators and produce like like producers. So there's it's a very interesting place to explore at, at all times of the day. So, yeah, that was our first stop. Um, from there, we were going to head up to, basically, we, we wanted to get to Bangkok. That was our next stop. Um, we wanted to head north. 
what we didn't do that whilst we were there was any of the the local boat trips so you can visit like the um you will have no, you'll notice yeah you'll know from all the the pictures of the of thailand they're kind of it's pp and the the beach from the film the beach and places like that they're really good popular destinations there's party boats that head out there um we didn't do any of that stuff we but... did go to patong for a, a day trip or we sort of we visited some other places and stopped there along the way and again it's it's a big resort town and if you know drinking and partying all day every day is your thing then it's it's the place to go but otherwise there are nicer beaches um and just generally nicer nicer places so from there we headed north we got the the bus um and it just so happened by chance so i was checking the map that I saw that Kausop National Park is kind of a few hours north of Phuket. And it was a real kind of once in a lifetime opportunity uh, to spend a night out in the jungle. So after our experience in the Amazon, uh, which was fantastic, and we, we really appreciated it, um, this was an opportunity to go and spend a night in Asian jungle, totally different environment, different animals, uh, different plants. Um, so we did exactly that. We stopped in Kausop, spent one night there in a, a treehouse resort, um, which was pretty novel. And then we spent the next day, we went out with a guide. He walked us out into the, the resort. We saw the stinking corpse lily. Uh, the Raphelicia? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, the bit re- it's the biggest flower in the world. It's the really big red ones that are on the ground that open up, have kind of a, an interesting bowl-like centre, uh, and they're supposed to smell like rotting meat, so it attracts insects in to, uh, to pollinate them. Wasn't as stinky as we were expecting, but really interesting to see. Like, There's only a few places in the world where you can see those uh, out in the wild, so really interesting experience. And we saw lots. There were lots in bloom. You can never tell exactly when they're going to be open or how long for and we saw six or seven which was quite which was quite lucky and there were some that had only just opened that morning that we set off so it was really really cool the the walkout was tough going like it was hard terrain like i saw some of the reviews had said you know it kind of feels like you're in the jungle it really does like there were a few places where you were going down uh, from the top to the bottom of a, a a waterfall for example and there was just a bit of rope attached rope. to a yeah. tree and you had to ease your way down <laughs> it's kind of like shimmy, shimmy, shimmy down yeah if you've done abseiling before you can basically work it out um how you might wrap the rope around yourself to lower yourself down if you haven't <laughs> um, not everyone in our group was quite as agile uh, i gotta say the, the guy who took us was well into his 60s or 70s so it should be possible for anyone but of course he'd spent his entire life living in the jungle he had a necklace with a tiger tooth uh, of a tiger that they'd killed you know when he was younger he, he was a hard, hard guy he'd spent his life tie boxing um so he teeth. was not your average <laughs> not your average oap so yeah it, it was a bit of an experience and that's what i really wanted i was i would have been pretty gutted if we just walked on a path out in the jungle but it honestly felt like we were properly in the jungle for lots of it you know really overgrown uh luscious green bamboo up to you know kind of 20 30 feet high had a took a dip in a waterfall pool, in one of the waterfall yeah. pools which was very much needed after walking in probably what was like 90 percent humidity yeah really really awesome experience that evening we uh, camped in a tent uh, 
I would recommend going for one that offers you a hammock or asking, requesting a hammock because it's too hot for a tent. It was really, really hot. And, it, and then you're on the ground, so you can't open the door unless you want lots of insects in with you over the night. Um, but all of the, the guides will spend nights in hammocks. So thoroughly recommend a hammock uh, and take, same as going to Amazon, take insect spray. They set up the camp for the night, cooked everything on bamboo. So everything was in bamboo tubes, like bamboo tubes of water with which cooked all the rice. Chicken cooked in bamboo over a fire. Uh, Yeah, it was really nice. Um, nice All the cutlery was made of bamboo, you know, uh, you know, spoons to stir your 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 brew with, little cups, you know, uh, the bamboo sliced sideways. So it was like it was your plate. And just sitting down by uh, a really lazy, slow river, eating foods that have been cooked off of a bamboo fire was fantastic. You know, um, much like the Amazon, they offer a, a nighttime tour. So go out and have a look at like the local wildlife at night. 99% spiders. So if spiders is not your thing, <laughs> maybe the jungle is not your thing. You just shine the light around and all you see is, reflections. is eyes reflecting back at you and they are all spiders and there's some pretty big ones out there. I uh, did nearly step on a snake as well. So. We did see a water monitor, didn't we, the, morn- the morning after? Yeah, absolutely. So there's plenty of stuff out there to have a look at and obviously you hear the, the local birds and monkeys and things like that as well. Next morning we, we had uh, breakfast over the bamboo, over the fire and then hiked out probably only two or three hours walk on the way out, much less than on the way in. Uh, and that was us. Uh, the next morning, uh, we picked up a bus from Kaosok, um, so just regular local tourist, uh, local uh, bus. Fairly good quality. Again, um, not as nice as South America. They definitely have uh, the gold stamp uh, for, for local bus service, but not bad at all. AC, relatively comfortable seats, never overcrowded. Um, so, yeah, not bad. That took us to uh, a small town out on the east coast of the kind of peninsula. Suratani. Suratani. And there, that's where we caught our train. Um, and then we took an overnight train to Bangkok. Overnighter. The first of a few overnight trains. Um, the first one is always a bit of an experience and you don't really know what to expect. But I would thoroughly encourage it. It's a great way to travel and you can, you can sleep. So you've got your bed and your, and your journey all in one. And if you pay if you pay out for the super fancy VIP berths, you get food and drink as well. Yeah, so it's not it's not overly expensive for just like a, kind of a medium quality, kind of like the, the the middle standard. And even if you don't know what you're doing in terms of like where your bed is or how you how you're supposed to conduct yourself, there's guys um, you know the, the train staff babysit you through it. Yeah, will turn down your bed and take your bed down and request if you want breakfast in the morning, tell you when we're going to be getting into the stations and stuff like that. What I would say is don't expect to be early because the trains will not run early. Never on time. None of the trains we took um, arrived on time. So don't have it again. Same, same advice as South America. Don't plan anything on the day you're arriving in the next town. Don't, Assume you'll be late. <laughs> don't book an onward journey for the same day that you arrive. So that was our first overnight train trip. It was a real experience, but... We ended up doing it again twice more, yep. so it wasn't a negative experience, and no. um, we would encourage people to to go that way. Also, it's kind of a bit ye olde for trains. Like we are blessed in Europe with very high tech modern trains. There, the station you will basically be standing pretty much on the tracks. It's pretty old school trains. It, it kind of feels like travelling 
like traveling around Europe might have been about 100 or 200 years ago. So it has kind of that rustic feel to it, which is a bit a bit novel if you've done a lot of train traveling in Europe and, and the UK. It will be something a little bit different. It's a very rustic travel experience. <laughs> Bangkok. So by this point, we were wearing masks every day, not because of coronavirus. This, this hadn't been a significant issue at this stage, um, but because the air quality was really, really bad. So we were wearing masks with charcoal filters rather than the kind of medical masks that you see a lot of um, the locals wearing. They're perfectly good. Anything that will help reduce the amount of particulate that you're inhaling. But um, if you're going to one of the major cities, even if it's only for a few days, so I suggest wearing a mask if you if you if it's not too uncomfortable for you or you or you're able to because the air quality is terrible, awful. And there's um pollution websites that you can go to and check the levels in certain areas on certain days. It's not necessarily entirely accurate information, and it doesn't tell you whether your lungs would be able to cope with that. So we went to Chiang Mai as well, and it's um, this website suggested that you know pollution levels were fairly low there, and that you wouldn't necessarily need to wear a mask. And we got there, and we were like, no, we have to. Like this just is just. Bad. It was just as bad. A little bit more open space there, so not quite as bad as in Bangkok, where you've got a moped down your throat the whole time. Did you buy your masks before you went, or did you just buy them there? We didn't, no. We bought them in um, when we were in Old Town, Old Town Phuket, because we were like, well, I think we should, we should get something. We had tried to get some in um, Australia and New Zealand to take over to New Zealand with us because the smog was drifting over New Zealand from the forest fires so we were a bit concerned whether we might need something there but because everybody had had the same thought you couldn't get them in Australia you couldn't get them in New Zealand we tried to buy them in the airport in Brisbane and in Bangkok and you just couldn't and in Phuket and you couldn't couldn't get them and then also by this time the coronavirus was a bit more prevalent so people like sellers were getting these masks in for that reason as well so we just took an opportunity and bought a handful when we saw them what month was this february yeah end end of february Okay. okay so we'd had mixed reviews uh from bangkok before we went um some people thought it was horribly seedy and busy and unpleasant um other people found it a real cultural oddity um and some people really enjoyed their visit there so we didn't really know what to expect before we arrived we did all the kind of usual touristy things you know um temples yeah temples and palaces uh stuff like that eventually once you've seen a couple of temples you've seen them all so uh, if you're going to bangkok pick the one that you want to go to we went to the royal palace i think yeah and we picked we kind of went through a guidebook and i went through TripAdvisor and atlas obscura and lonely planet and tried to pick out the more uh like unusual unique temples so like the biggest the the smallest the oldest um we went to one that was in woodlands so yeah try we tried to pick ones where we would see something different every time because the more urban ones in the cities they do they are just essentially all the same past a certain point yeah i think you could say the same of churches european England, churches yeah. <laughs> once you see unless you're seeing you know uh familia or something like that they're all kind of similar pick the temples you want to go to because there are some really outstanding ones um and make sure you have appropriate dress 
so how strict people are about you getting in is mixed but if you always aim to have shoulders covered knees covered so trousers and a t-shirt you'll be okay you will you will get turned away and people do get turned away if you've got a strappy top if you're a girl uh or if you're wearing shorts for a bloke and we did get caught short once most of the places was fine but occasionally we get caught so but if if you haven't taken if you're not going wearing any especially at the grand palace don't buy from the desk go back out to the street and buy from the the locals out there because it's it's cheaper in a lot of places just wearing a scarf or a pashmina over your shoulders as a woman is not acceptable so yeah think about wearing um respectable clothing before you arrive we ummed and odd about heading straight from bangkok into cambodia but then figured we had enough time on our visa still to go up to chiang mai we'd heard some really good stuff about that um so we overnight trained up to chiang mai again it was a long old train but if you're sleeping it's it's no real hardship primarily to go and see elephants like we were in thailand everything is elephant print this elephant sculpture that everything everything has elephants on it so we really wanted to go and see elephants the other side was we were really really conscious because i think you just are when you go and visit those kind of places and we are here uh, in these kind of you know in the in the west really conscious about making sure our trip to see elephants was ethical because there is so much poor treatment of elephants. Um, if you want to go elephant riding, even though it's pretty much been condoned as terrible a long time ago, it, those options are still available to you and lots of people do it. Uh, if you want to just get your photos with an elephant that stands on a piece of concrete all day and has its leg tied up, you can do that too. Get photos with monkeys and stuff like that. There's not much uh, animal welfare there. So we were really trying to like make sure that if we went and saw elephants or did an elephant experience that it was a legitimate one and Chiang Mai has a really good quality elephant experience there where the whole business model is either they have a they have a very big park that you can go to which is quite expensive but they look after basically elephants that have been rescued from working in the forests or they've been harmed in some way, or they were being ill-kept. So those are the ones are rescued, and they live wild out in the park, and you can visit them. You can go up on the walkways and watch them and feed them and things like that. They also have like loads of stray cats and dogs and water buffalo and all sorts of other menagerie of creatures that they, they keep there, and they're all rescued. The other project... Um, and it can be a little bit confusing when you're looking at their website. Um, there are other projects are so going out of uh, Chiang Mai into the local area to meet a local family that look after elephants. When I say look after, usually the families were renting out their elephants to other businesses like elephant riding businesses in the past. So, of course, when Westerners started becoming wise to the fact that, that the elephants were being poorly treated, they lost a lot of their business. Then they were using them to rent to people to clear f- parts of the rainforest and carry logs. That business eventually becomes unviable because once the area has been cleared, then it becomes farming land and then you can't rent your elephants for that either. Again, neither of those are good for the elephants. Um, this uh, third option is that they have to approach the charity and then request permission to join their scheme. And then the elephants are have to be cared for that's the whole purpose like the company will allow 
people to come out and have elephant experiences, but the elephants have to be cared for. Um, and they are with the families out in the forest. So you spend uh, an hour or two driving out to them over some pretty bumpy roads. And then you get to meet the, the uh, elephants and the families that look after them out in the forests, just wandering around doing elephanty stuff, you know. There's no pressure um, for them to perform. There's no expectations from the elephants at all. They just wander around and you get to go and spend time with them. Yeah, you, you arrive there and um, you're led up to an area where the elephants will will go because like you've got 100 kilos of bananas so they're coming <laughs> and you can feed you can feed them and you know there's the elephants aren't kept there at all so if they want to leave they just they just go but obviously they don't because there's a lot of bananas there um and then you go down and um you follow you follow the elephants out into the bush and just ob- observe them from a distance like how they're checking for food stripping leaves how they're eating and just yeah you you get to watch them and, and they go wherever and you you follow you follow behind them um and the mahout, the mahouts don't steer them in any direction the mahouts are just there mm-hmm. with a bag of peanuts or a couple more bananas to sort of entice them to to stay still for two seconds while you take a picture is this or... um is this the elephant nature park by any chance yeah, uh, so yeah it is elephant nature park but this was a karen elephant experience which is like a a separate organization that the nature park support yeah so this is yeah you're absolutely right the elephant nature park is the is the big one that's set up there by um an american i think i went there it's amazing ah. <laughs> fantastic yeah yeah so it, it's really reputable you know if you're if you're morally sitting on the fence about an elephant experience it's the it's the best one you can have um, and there are it's not the only one there are a few more in thailand um in fact that elephant experience uh, company has a little place outside of phuket which so you could go and do it down there um but the one up in um in chiang mai is, is really there the jewel in the crown um and it's a fantastic experience so you yeah. do get to meet local people you do get to go and see the elephants out in the wild yeah um and the money goes back into local business to yes. stop those elephants going back into it goes poor to su- conditions. To supporting the families so that they don't have to put their elephants out to work for their income. The food is provided to them by the Elephant Nature Park, and you know they get a large so a portion of your ticket uh, for the day or whatever goes to the elephant nature park but the majority of it goes to that family that you are going out to and that provides them with the money for the food for the elephants to and the means to you know provide transport for you to and from and it, yeah, it's just an awesome experience and there are elements of it that you can engage with if you want to and again the elephants aren't forced to join in with this stuff and when we, um one of the things we did with them like the elephants vis- like visibly absolutely loved it like there was this huge muddy muddy pool and the elephants get called get called down from from the bush and you can go and bathe them um but again the mahouts are sort of by the side sort of monitoring and they will instruct you like you know this this do this with them or stand back or um and then you go, so they're all like, you go and you go and get caked in mud. You get to go and cake an elephant in mud. And then you follow them again through the bush um, and down to a stream where you then wash the elephants off. 
if you want to, or if the mahouts say, yep, there's the ego, there's a bucket or a bowl or whatever, you can wash them. And where you get washed off by the elephants, which is really cool. It was awesome. Really, really awesome. And we didn't just, well, guilt-free, you feel like you were supporting something good. Yeah. I mean, of course, the best scenario would be that the elephants go back to the wild. Um, That's what everyone wants for them. The trouble is the wild is an increasingly small piece of terrain in Thailand as um, there's a lot of logging going on there and there's a lot of conservation efforts to try and stop that happening. If those elephants wander outside of the woods and onto farmlands to try and find food, then whoever's farm they onto um, will claim that elephant and it will go back into the same rental system uh, as exists before. So although it's not perfect and... We, there are places in Thailand where you can go and see um, elephants properly in the wilds, like out in the forest. They are few and far between. There are far more elephants in, in captivity than not. So this is kind of the best way to try and rehabilitate or enthuse the locals into caring for the elephants rather than using them as tools of labour, which they have been in, in the past. So, yeah, really good experience. Awesome. I would definitely recommend. So... I, I went in 2008, early 2008, and it was, um, it was really small. There was about 10 elephants, and Lek, who started it, she, I still remember she, Lek means small in Thai, and it's just amazing, this tiny little Thai woman against these huge elephants, and she just had this amazing rapport with them. And then I think, like you say, I think there was an American came in, helped financially to fund it. Um, And it's just wonderful that you're saying that it's really grown. And, you know, just looking at the website, there's so many different places now for that one place. And like you say, it's one of the only reputable places in Thailand where they actually look after the elephants. There's no shows. And it was a very tricky thing to research, like, because anybody can make a claim on their website that you know they are reputable and they do xyz and that they are supported by you know elephant nature park or any other similar organization but it's it's tricky to decipher actually what is legitimate yeah use 30 third party websites that they they will come at the top of every third party website that is legitimately interested in animal welfare there's a lot of parks that will try and they'll call themselves something very similar or almost identical in order to trick you into, trick you into accidentally booking with yeah. them, thinking that you're booking something else. Just be careful what you're booking. There's a lot of, they know, they know that people are looking for eth- ethical elephant experiences and they will, a lot of companies will unashamedly pretend that that's what they're offering and they won't. So yeah, fully recommended. Definitely worth going to Thailand for um, just to know what you're shopping for. Basically at the other end of the scale, was our day out at the Royal Park. The single most unusual experience I think we had the whole time there. It's basically a sculpted garden, a huge garden, massive pagoda in the middle. It felt like being in North Korea. At this this point, the numbers of Western tourists, tourists in general, was depleting. It was clear on the street that less people were arriving. There was a lot less movement around. And definitely a, a fear amongst the locals of westerners and and travelers so we we went to this we went to this park and you know it's out of town that'll be that'll be nice i mean it it's not somewhere we'd it wasn't top of our list but we had time to spare so like we'll go there and i think 
the whole time we were there we saw maybe two other couples who were like visitors and not staff in the gardens it was like something out of a post-apocalyptic zombie film it was really really bizarre just acres and acres of curated gardens it was totally uh, empty although the only people there were staff like cleaning the place it did feel like it would put on for us yeah uh, like you'd landed in thailand and like this is exactly what it's like everywhere in thailand yeah L- look around <laughs> and you were the only people yeah. um so that was a really weird day i'm sure there are busier days there but there was no one there when we got there so we wandered around the place pretty much to ourselves and looked at the flowers i mean it, it was a pretty like surreal place anyway because there was some unusual stuff weird sculptures like random sculptures like some very questionable installations <laughs> um and yeah, just weird and yeah and it just made that weird factor even more weird like what the heck is this and um, what what <laughs> just very very surreal the last thing we did uh, before we left Chiang Mai was to head out into the uh, out into the foothills. Um, so there's a relatively well-known kind of <laughs> local town that's known for being uh, a local kind of hill village with hill people uh, who live there. Um, so again, we hired hired a moped and drove our way out there. I'm desperately trying to think of the name; it will come to me. But we basically went out there. It's it's authentic as as you can get in terms of being a place to visit that tourists know about. But yeah, just kind of very rustic Thailand, right up in the mountains. Um, it, it was a we had a, quite a small CC moped. It really struggled on some of the uphills with the two of us on it, it to get right out there, you know, above the cloud line. Um, but yeah, just that, and, and again, a really interesting day out. Took us a little bit longer to get back than we were expecting because we had to keep slowing down and stopping to Just let the brakes cool down on the scooter. Gripping the brakes <laughs> the whole way down. Because it was so steep. Um, but uh, yeah, again, easy to get around on scooters. It's right out. It's only one road out of the city, really. Uh, and it was quiet out there. So much less taking your life into your own hands than, than Phuket. So the, um, that was the end of that. Took the, the overnight train back to Bangkok. Uh, and that was the end of, basically, we'd run out of visa by the time we got to that stage. Visas in Southeast Asia are not quite as easy and user-friendly as they are in South America. So there's a little bit of pre-prep, uh, getting it done online, making sure it was it was all squared away prior to arriving. So, yeah, don't assume you can just travel from one country to another in the same way you can around South America. Just get it on the border. Better to do it all in advance uh, and make sure you've got your paperwork in order before you cross over. Took the bus then uh, from Bangkok to Siem Reap. So that was our trip into into Cambodia. Again, the level of poverty stepped down again. So a much poorer country than uh, its its Thai neighbour. Siem Reap being the probably the, the jewel in the crown of Cambodia's kind of displays to the west in that it has Angkor Wat there. Um, so that's what everyone visits for, and that's where kind of we wanted what we wanted to do whilst we were there. What can you say of Angkor Wat? How was how was that for you? Uh, Angkor Wat was pretty spectacular, but we booked a bus with a company called Giant Ibis. They basically you provide them with your passport details and they check that 
you know you're legit for a visa and they will walk you through the visa process checking out and then checking into Cambodia because it's it's a reasonably complicated process so you can't necessarily get visas on arrival um so most of the time you do have to get it as you as you walk across the border and that can be quite a complicated process so it was very useful having somebody sort of to to babysit you through and make sure that you were going to the right place and that somebody legit was stamping your passport and that you had the necessary paperwork to go through to the next section um and the added bonus of giant ibis is it it was a relatively long journey but you get on the bus in the morning and they give you a coffee and a, a pastry and then you get to the border crossing and that's all done you get stamped they give you a lunch and a bottle of water and you know if if you're accommodation is on like the main drag or whatever they will sort of kick you out outside your accommodation um, and we traveled with them for another journey as well didn't we for, uh, through Cam- uh, into Cambodia uh, from Siem Reap to to the capital to the capital Phnom Penh yeah that um, was a slightly more hairy but uh, yeah, it was, was <laughs> it was um, but yeah if you're taking yeah tourist coaches not overly expensive just nice to have a tourist experience um you'll be with other people who are doing the same trip as you so you can share notes and it just helps you cross the border the border itself you'll you end up walking about five or six hundred meters between points it's not even abundantly clear where you're supposed to get your kind of passport stamped as you cross um so it was quite nice having someone there i had to ask directions on the just between the leaving the vietnam border and the cambodian check-in like it's not abundantly clear so um it was it was useful having some help when we arrived in siem reap because coronavirus was in full swing now we lucked out um because all the angle what tickets had been extended yeah so one day ticket gave you two days three days I think. Uh, was it three days yeah yes three days access five day ticket they pushed out to kind of seven days or something like that and then a, a full ticket was ages yeah a 10 day ticket got you in for a month um, um, because they were like visitor numbers at the time that we were there so end of february beginning of like no, it's in march end of february very beginning of march visitor numbers had dropped by 48 percent on the last year so it was lovely and quiet and the tourist industry like the tourist board were doing everything they could so yeah we took the the day that we the day the morning after we arrived at our hotel the the owners of the hotel was like oh have you got your pass for the temples like did you know they've done this like here's the printout that the government have sent us through so we then like oh sweet like because we were we were gonna cram it into one day yeah um, we were just gonna do the big highlights you know Angkor Wat, Angkor Tom, um, yeah the main stuff around the the main location we were really glad that we didn't but even in hindsight if we could go back and do it again I would still have only paid for a day ticket and saw the, and see the highlights mm-hmm. because after three days we were fairly templed out. Uh, yeah, again, pick your temples. Seen one, seen seen them all. So again, I think we did we did several. So we did like a really old one, a new one, uh, one that was made out of a different stone, one that was really ornately carved, one that was like half deconstructed, and one yeah the one from the uh, Tomb Raider Tomb Raider film, obviously. Yeah, so an old one, a new one, one with trees, a red one, a popular one. A water one. A water one, yeah. (laughs) There are lots to pick from. And um, almost all the reviews you'll read will say, bear in mind, the place is really big. Yeah, it is really big. And you can cycle around, uh, as in a push bike, but 
you're not going to get far. No. Um, and by the time about one o'clock, two o'clock hits, it's incredibly hot and there's very little cover. So consider that as well. Get, get and, you're, really and you're wearing long trousers and a long shirt because you're going from temple to temple. So there is no, yeah, one, two o'clock. Most days that we went out, we were, we were done like way too hot to carry on so our um and you'll probably find this with most places you stay they'll have a couple of recommended or uh, local taxi drivers that always hang out outside or that they'll always call up if they if they need someone so they had a couple of tuk-tuk drivers that they always used reliable guys knew what they were doing wouldn't rip you off agreed prices Knew a little bit of English. Yeah, and, and did a bit of kind of guiding on the side yeah. as well. Knew what the kind of thing you'd want. So if you said, I'd like to go and see this temple, they know exactly where it was, take you there, offer you water, all that kind of good stuff as well. Or they would look at the, your, like, you show them, the, the guy that we had, we showed, we sort of showed him our guidebook, like, this is the ones we want to see. And then he'd be like, no, you want to do this one, this one, go and see this one, and we'll do it this way because that's easier for me or, or like this is the better busy. way to see it or it'd be quieter at this time or sunrise here sunset here so he was so, great yeah um, take take advantage and you know support the local small the local small guy and get your tuk-tuk driver for the day because it's it's gonna cost you like for three or four days i think it was all the trips we took it was still less than a hundred a hundred bucks and that's a hell of a wage for your your one yeah, tuk tuk driver. Um, so yeah, um, consider that when you're buying your ticket, that your ticket will get you in, um, but then you'll have to pay extra for your tuk tuk driver to get you round, uh, unless you're going to try and walk it. And if you're only going to walk it, you're only going to see the big hitters like Angkor Wat. I would say Angkor Wat was probably one of my least favourites. We got there early morning for the sunrise. The photos you will see of it are like a lot of photos of popular destinations not quite what it's like when you're actually there so the photos that you'll see where it's the sun rising behind Nagawa in the reflection of a pool that's essentially a puddle it's probably about 20 meters by 10 meters it's just a puddle on the ground yeah. and everyone will stand around that puddle to take a photo it's a good idea to go early anyway just so you can get it done before it gets too hot we still got some really good photos of the sun rising over Angkor Wat because the crowd's fairly well, you know, dispersed fairly quickly. Um, Everybody goes for the sunrise and then goes back to the hotel, gets breakfast and then comes back later in the day. Um, so, yeah, it yeah. was quiet then, but um, I would say not the highlight of the trip for me. No. Um, there, there were more impressive places uh, or more impressive um, ruins there. It's definitely, you know, one of those wonders of the world that you tick off a bucket list but definitely also one of those you're like wow okay that wasn't as amazing as i expected it to be and some of the other smaller temples within the complex are the showstoppers that says we saw some other really cool stuff uh, uh, by this point because the because we've been really conscious about trying to book our elephant experience and being as ethical as possible it's kind of brought it into the forefront of my mind that we were in an incredibly poor country and our money would go an awful long way and that we could we should do our utmost to try and see local things um use uh responsibly sourced eateries and buy ethically sourced stuff things like that um and we really made an effort to do it in cambodia uh, yeah so some of the things we did whilst we were there was see a local basically a performing group um they're kind of local school kids uh that don't have 
many much in the way of opportunities they put on a kind of a circus act kind of performance that's you know kind of a culturally relevant performance it's nerve-wracking uh because these guys are like in their early teens going up to very high heights much the same as the kind of stuff we saw when we were watching Cirque du Soleil but with none of the safety no and safety a lot routine. less training so yeah. it's really nerve-wracking that was um that was in uh, Battambang um which is a little uh, town that we went to after a few days in Siem Reap when we were all templed out um and it, it is the top thing to do in Battambang of yeah about three or four things really yeah there's um, not much to do there. but Battambang in particular is very it's very uh socially conscious so there's lots of kind of ethical eateries eth- ethical eateries and lots of hostels you can stay at where they fair trade type places where they paid a fair wage or supported local people or gave training or uh social enterprise that's what i'm trying yeah. to say um other good stuff to see in cm reap other than temples uh is the apopo uh museum again completely different to everything else we've done it's a, a demining organization that uses giant rats to sniff out mines and they'll show, give you a demonstration your money of course then contributes to that organization um, they show you how they do it and they're clearing um, the significant amounts of land mines that are left in cambodia partially after the Camarouge uh came to power and then again the amount of unexploded ordnance that's lying around after the americans drop almost all of their bombs over the border from vietnam in, into cambodia so again a, totally different to anything else you might do it's only a little way outside of town so just get tuk tuk out there and they'll show you around and it's a guided experience it's t- i think it was 25 us a ticket 50 bucks like is enough to remove one mine, so you feel like you're making a difference when you go and, and visit. There's also another demining museum north of the city, um, so a fair way out. But if you're visiting one of the, the one of the temples that's north out of the city, it's often recommended if you're doing a multi-day tour. It, it's on the way. Bantre Shrey, Bantre Shrey is the the Lady Temple. It's the furthest. It's the furthest one out. It's run by a guy who was a member of the Khmer Rouge. Uh, he laid the mines as a child soldier. He, after the war, he then basically went back uh, to try and undo his work uh, and demine um, the country. He, he's really well known. He's in, been in a lot of documentaries and things like that, so you might well recognise him. And he was actually there, just sitting outside having a coffee, chatting to another military guy whilst we were there. So I got the opportunity to say thanks to him, um, as well as looking around the place. And again, all the money there goes to helping victims of mines and unexploded ordnance uh, and helping that demining effort. So again, just an interesting kind of thing to do on the side. You're going that past that way anyway. Go by a way to go and see it. They're both really interesting. The other side of Cambodia was our, our trip down to the capital, down to Phnom Penh. The journey down there, so the most dangerous vehicle to be in in Cambodia is a, a minibus. They drive like tuk-tuk drivers but have like the mass and width of a coach. So it's the worst of both worlds. Um, and it was the most nerve wracking journey we took anywhere. And it was difficult to relax. There were no seatbelts. Um, this, this was a company that had been recommended to us by a guy, that American guy that we got chatting to in one of these social enterprise restaurants. And he was like, I won't travel 
I come here twice a year, every year. I won't travel with anybody but this company. Like it's a good bus. They're safe. It's clean. You get this, you get that. And we're like, oh, okay. We, we were prepared to book with a company that, you know, we'd read were okay on TripAdvisor, but like, okay, this person, he's here often. We'll go with what he says. And we got there and like everybody, it was a locals bus. So everybody on the bus apart from us got a bottle of water we didn't have seat belts and you just yeah the ac didn't work it was hair raising held on for grim death just all the overtaking maneuvers you'd fail test for packed into one so that was an interesting experience we did also pass the miles and miles and miles of sweatshops um so cambodia's main output is textiles and it was kicking out time at the factory so there was just dumpy trucks full of people yeah and cattle carts just full of people standing up workers all in the same kind of t-shirts coming out of of the factories and that really hit home about where where do your clothes come from you know if you're buying cheap clothes from primark and stuff like that it was really evident that yeah that that's exactly what was happening there it's again it it's a bit of catch-22 if the if they're working in sweatshops, there's some legal protections in terms of the age that they can be when they start working there, uh, working hours, things like that. It's terrible by our standards, but the alternative is, and you'll see it a lot around um, Angkor Wat and the temples, is the kids begging on the streets or trying to sell trinkets just for a bit of money and, and skipping school because they... they you know they do better to earn money for their they're more useful their to parents. their families out selling one dollar magnets all day than they are at school so again all th- things are very relative out there yeah definitely a quite a different experience when we stayed in Phnom Penh we stayed in a place called Mad Monkey it's a big uh, hostel uh, down there and several another... hostels throughout Cambodia and one in Thailand I believe or two in Thailand another one that kind of uses a lot of responsible sourcing um puts money back into the local economy, that kind of thing. But actually just a really good, fun kind of party atmosphere, hostel. You got free beers every day between kind of for an hour a day up in the, the bar they had on the roof. So you could go up there. And, and of course, the, the highlights of Phnom Penh, the things to see there are the the legacy of the Camer Rouge. So going out and seeing the killing fields um, and seeing the, the prison the prison camp inside the city were the two things to do there and again really hit home um it, it's stark in a way that you probably wouldn't see comparably in europe you know when you go and see first world war and second world war graves for example thousands and thousands of dead but in a much more clinical way um it's not like that in cambodia you know the tree where people are being beaten to death is exactly as it was then the holes in the ground still exist there's still bits of cloth and debris that works its way to the remains surface and debris that um, works its way to the surface each season after the rain and and the and the uh, killing fields themselves there's a huge monument in the middle that's just full of bones it's you know hundreds of skulls femurs you know arms just stacked they, uh, they were really arranged stark. in um so the, there were different sections to this monument and the, the remains were arranged as in like these are this type of head injury. So this was this person died because of an axe wound to the head or um, a gunshot wound or, um, you know, they were just generally beaten up. So it's really like st- stark and shocking to see it displayed like that and as an outsider it makes you realize like how real it was and how recent um 
it is really recent history for them um, and it's very much part of their history you know it's very well remembered there so if you don't know much about the Pol Pot kind of regime there's a really good opportunity to learn it in the most you know real in your face way um, to visit Phnom Penh uh, and you can see it relatively easy it's just outside the city um, the, the prison itself is just inside the city and it will really bring it home to you it I find I, I'm even though I study history at university, I learn it way better if I'm actually looking at it at the location, and it it sticks with you when you go and see it. Um, in the same way that I'm sure people have experiences when they go to Auschwitz and places like that, it it puts the it's a real it's a real physical stories. experience, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah, can read it about it, and but you got you don't feel it until you're actually in that space. And and that was kind of that's when we we kind of got caught out so we'd i'd booked a couple of visas for vietnam things were still relatively quiet in cambodia uh they had a few cases of coronavirus um primarily uh travelers yeah primarily tourists um there was a lot of speculation that they were hiding their coronavirus numbers because they didn't want to didn't want to lose the tourism or offend china who's a significant financial sponsor in terms of another country upholding their um, their economy. So we thought we'd be okay, uh, and then Vietnam closed its borders. Two, day, two, three days before we were supposed to cross, um, the guy who was the manager of the hostel was saying to, was chatting to us over breakfast one day, like, you know, what are your plans? Like they do, where are you going? Where have you been? And we were like, oh, we're going to go to Vietnam on Thursday or whatever. And he's like, no, you aren't. Like, oh, well, the border's open at the moment. He's like, it is at the moment. It's like, after today... No, it's not. It's going to close. And that evening, they announced that the border was closing to anybody apart from nationals. So although we had another month month of visa that we were expecting to use in Vietnam and another kind of three or four weeks of travelling, that never came to fruition in the end. So we, we travelled from Phnom Penh back up to Siem Reap, stayed in the place we, we, kind of, uh, we were well used to by that point, and basically just waited out. Um, for the opportunity to fly. And we, we did sort of consider, when we were back in Siem Reap, um, did consider, you know, could we go somewhere else? You know, does our journey have to stop now? Like, and there were options available to us at that time, but we got chatting to a couple of other people staying at the hotel and, you know, we were all in the same boat, like, you know, what do we do? Like, do we stay? Do we try and go home? Like, if we stay, are we going to be stuck here for six months? Are we going to be stuck here for like a couple of days? What's going to happen if we try and get home? Like, will we be quarantined? Like, what will happen? Um, and we decided we, a, a cheap flight came up, and we were like, we're just going to go for it. Like, we've we've experienced too many disasters and too much trouble in this trip to kind of to finish it off like being trapped in Cambodia or trapped in some other country because of a pandemic so you're like no there's our opportunity we're going to take it so we were in Siem Reap for maybe four days and we then flew back to Bangkok and then flew from Bangkok to Abu Dhabi Abu Dhabi back to Heathrow where we had the least stringent checks of anywhere we'd stopped so no heat heat checks no no no, uh, you know testing or screening they just handed us a pamphlet saying if you've got coronavirus don't cough if you have some symptoms stay inside (laughs) um and that was that was it that was the end of it it was it was kind of abrupt in the end because we had so much more plans and i just kind of planned out how we were going to go through vietnam 
and then there, it, and then one day it was it we'd, yeah. we'd booked our flight and, and that's it we were going on. home yeah it was it was over 10 months had, had come to a halt so yeah it was it was a, maybe not how we would have liked to have ended it but we were glad we left when we did because when we were sitting in the airport two-thirds of the flights had already been cancelled yeah. as we were looking at the board um and we, if we'd waited more days we might well have found ourselves stuck there so. i mean the, the hotel we were staying in in cm reap the couple were lovely and they they were already doing super cheap deals for people who were going to be there for a long time um because they needed the business but they were they were happy for us to be there like super long term they're like you know we'll feed you and like if there's a problem with paying then you know we can work something out like you can cook for us or clean for us or or whatever so you know had we stayed they would have looked after us but I think we probably would have like climbed the walls eventually but yeah it was it was so surreal so we flew back on the we left Cambodia on the 18th of March and we landed back in London on the 19th of March so that was three days before the country went into lockdown and we we left we flew from Siem Reap to Bangkok and Siem Reap um we walked through uh, a heat a heat camera walking into the airport there was hand sanitizer everywhere we were wearing masks at this point to protect ourselves and others not just because the air quality was bad um we got temperature checked twice more before we got on the plane in Siem Reap so Cambodia like a very poor country is doing this many checks we get to Bangkok we are temperature checked before we even get on the plane, before we're allowed into the airport. Um, we get checked again as we walk through the airport. We transfer to another airline, checked again, twice before we get on the plane. We arrive in um, Abu Dhabi and we get checked before we're allowed off the plane. Again, checked before we go through to departures. Arrive in London. No, nothing. <laughs> off you go. There's the leaflet. Not even hand sanitizer not a heat camera no nothing and you're like this is a bit surreal yeah get to london in true british fashion there's a leaflet <sighs> off you go well, we get on get on the bus there's n- there's hardly anybody on the bus but again no hand sanitizer no on the bus the nobody's we're the only people wearing a mask um we get the bus all the way from Heathrow to exeter we we're wearing masks the whole time and we get to Exeter, we're the only two people that get off, we've got masks on, and we just look like absolute aliens <laughs> getting off this bus with masks on, and everybody's instantly looking at us like, what's wrong with you? And we're just like, why is no one else wearing a mask? Like, third world countries are wearing masks. The tuk-tuk drivers in Cambodia had hand sanitizer <laughs> and, like, scarves over their faces. You come back to the UK, and it was like, ah! That's fine, not, not our problem, not our problem. And then three days later, like, oh shit, it's our problem. What's um what being kind of a self-isolating 14 days did give us was a perfect opportunity to wrap off our trip, you know, round off our trip. We were really hoping we were gonna see all our friends like and do a trip around the country to say kind of hi to them when yeah. we need to come back. Yeah. We didn't have that option, but we got to do lots of other stuff instead. Like we got a print off of polar steps that we've been using to track our progress all the way around, turn that into a hardback book, which I gotta say is really good quality. And I thoroughly recommend it as a, a tracking app, which then gives you a fantastic kind of keepsake when you've finished. Mm-hmm. Um, really good quality, glossy paper. So yeah, I absolutely recommend that. Um, and it kind of 
it gave us the opportunity to have a few weeks to kind of just think about what we've done to reflect and you know not get too depressed about it because there were some people that we bumped into in Cambodia who had just started their trip and they were they were having to come home so we were lucky that we were at the end of our trip and that you know we'd only been cut short by a month and one country so it could have it could have been worse but at that point we'd seen too much and done too much we're like no we will quit while we're ahead and we'll go home before the disaster reaches us which turned out to be the right decision yeah it's all over and back to reality yeah what was the most memorable part of your trip and what was the most favourite part of your trip, which might obviously be different things? That's a, such a tough question. My colleagues at work keep asking me this. For me, the most memorable was the rioting that, mm-hmm. that we faced in, in Ecuador. Having done riot training, to, to really be in a, the middle of you know, a proper riot where people are being tear gassed um, and the police are running people down with horses was not something we could have planned for or expected and totally took us by surprise so i don't think i'll be able to forget that in a hurry um it was definitely a sensory experience unless you're louis theroux nobody goes looking for tear gas when they're on holiday do they (laughs) in terms of my favorite probably the amazon it's been on my bucket list for so long and it it absolutely was everything i hoped it would be and i would go back in a heartbeat I'd go back to and see the Amazon in Bolivia or Brazil or somewhere else and, and do it again. But it was just spectacular. Everything I hoped it would be. A close second would be Disneyland. I, I hate to say that. <laughs> the two totally diametrically opposed things. But the Disneyland was just... I had a grin from ear to ear the whole time. I think you know? Dis- Disneyland would probably probably be one of mine as well because we're never going to be able to afford to go again. So... <laughs> Like it's that was definitely the once in a lifetime thing. Like we can never come here again. Like, we're never going to afford it. I was going to say you're going to try Florida next. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll just now. wait for Galaxy's Edge to come to Paris. That's a little <laughs> bit more achievable. Yeah, long, long game. We're playing the long. The the whole trip, like the whole trip, was super. Well, I'd say memorable, but we can't recall it. Um, for me, because it's not something that you know past me ever thought I'd be able to do like I'm like 15 year old me had big ambitions of seeing you know Machu Picchu and Angle Wat looking through a Dan Cruikshank book that I got for my birthday never did I ever think that I would be able to actually go and see these places so it's so hard we did so much that to pinpoint one as being better than the other is very tricky um Machu Picchu was definitely a very memorable very memorable moment for me because it was hard <laughs> and but i made it to the top i thought i was gonna die and you had a migraine yeah so yeah that was memorable <laughs> for, for totally different reasons i say christmas uh was really memorable yeah because we got yeah. to spend it with family yeah that um, was nice which was even better than you know uh, an average christmas family because we uh family christmas rather because we didn't expect it to happen. You know, it was it was a, a real icing on a cake after all that travelling and, yeah. and just being... To have some home us. comforts and a, and a proper English roast dinner. That was really In, nice. like, 35-degree heat. You really appreciate uh, it was a the novelty. comforts of home. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, Australia's definitely spoiled me now. Like, I want AC in my future house. Like, <laughs> I know it doesn't get very hot here very often, but, my God, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And do you have any plans for where you want to go next after the pandemic, of course? (laughs) I mean, there's still a long list of places we haven't been and there's a lot of space on the map that doesn't have a pin in it. We, I think eventually we would go back to Southeast Asia and try and do Vietnam. I think we would like to go to um, Indonesia and Bali and maybe go back to Australia and do another do another part, like another piece of coast maybe. But realistically, it's going to be a little £50 break to Europe somewhere because <laughs> we kind of went hard on that last trip. I think the part of the trip I was really disappointed we didn't get to do uh, and I'd like to do is is northern India and Nepal. I, I really want to go and do those just for something so culturally different. Our original plan, you know, was to start off in Africa and I got myself really hyped up about Kenya and Tanzania and South, America, uh, South Africa and, and now I can't get it out of my head and I think if we do another really big trip, maybe when I leave service and we save up again, Selicity. it'll be Africa um, yeah. you know uh, it'll be a big trip around Africa uh, again just for something totally different um, that's a massive pipe dream though yeah, but yeah <laughs> but like Annie says probably Dorset uh, yeah. <laughs> so the next holiday probably Dorset cheap flight to anywhere cool let's go yeah I mean we're all looking at sort of staycations as they're calling it aren't we absolutely you know, that, yeah absolutely. at the moment so no worries all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. It's been really great to hear about your amazing trip, an epic journey. <laughs> thank you very much for having it. It's yeah. been really nice recalling it. Yes. Um, and now I'm in the same breath, going to get depressed because I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe we're at the end of Josh and Annie's journey. What an epic adventure they had. For anyone listening that's been on a similar trip around the world, I'm sure you've loved reliving some of their stops. I went on a similar journey, as I'd mentioned before, without South America, many years ago now, and it was great to chat with them and hear how some things have changed and some things are still very much the same with the same amazing places and adventures. On the next episode, I chat with Anne Harrod and her family about their recent trip to Greece, sailing around the islands. This episode is really interesting as we chat about how the pandemic affected their holiday. Their trip is also quite an unusual one for a family to take, So if you're after a different way to go on holiday, you'll love this trip report. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss it. But until then, travel well and travel safe.